passage dealing with the Scripture. Then, in James chapter 1, there's this passage. It says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the Word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. And uh, we've used that phrase sometimes, a looking glass. It's talking about something reflective there, isn't it? Verse 24, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And then I'll join you there in Second Peter chapter 3. And uh, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of responding to God's Word. Responding to God's Word. Very vitally important. This passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, when you look at the context I'm going to read, it'll show you how vital it is that we respond properly to the Word of God. I believe this Bible, this King James Bible I have in my hand, is the divinely inspired, perfectly preserved Word of God. My job is not to correct it. In fact, I am forbidden to do so. And my job is not to gloss over it. My job is not to trim it, to make it fit today's current political and religious flavors. My job is to open it and explain it and preach it with the Spirit of God. And uh, my job is to live it, to love it, to let it, let it judge me, let it change me so that I can be uh, the proper type of Christian man in this world, that I can be the proper type of Christian pastor to this congregation that God's entrusted to my care and love, that I can be the proper type of husband for my, my wife and uh, father to my grown children, to my grandchildren, my grandfather, that I can be the right type of citizen. All these things, the Word of God is sufficient to teach me everything I'm supposed to be and to warn me about what I'm not supposed to be so that I can serve and follow the Lord. He'll do that for you too. So let's look at the context here in 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to see the strength of this warning, and then I'm going to talk to you some things about responding to the Word of God. In verse 11, <clears throat> let's begin the narrative there. And here uh, it had warned that there are people who are willingly ignorant of the fact that God <clears throat> is going to judge the world again, even as He did the first time by water, the next time will be by fire, and it'll mention that in here. And that pick it up in verse 11. It says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Look at the particular language the way it's used. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? That holiness is the life that comes from the throne of God and honors God with its living. And so what manner of people ought we to be considering everything will be dissolved? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved. There's that term again. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. We have a uh, basic, probably childlike understanding of that when we understand some things about nuclear fission, the splitting of the atom, what happens in that type of a process. And what it's referring to here is an elemental destruction of things. And everything that's tainted by the by the, by sin, but that's not the end for us. Nevertheless, even though we know that's coming, we, according to His promise, there's our basis. 
Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, also according, or excuse me, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. Now watch this particularly. Watch this. In which, talking about those things which were given to Paul, they're God's words. Paul was used to put them down for the Word of God. And it talks about it here. In which are some things hard to be understood. That's a little, that's a little barrier or hurdle people get stuck on. They think that they're just going to read through the Bible and understand everything all at once. It's been my privilege to know Christ as my Savior uh, since I heard the Gospel as a 15-year-old young man in, in 1980. And it's been my privilege to be uh, over 40 years a preacher of that gospel. Let me tell you something. There's much, much in the Word of God that uh, you come to it and you're like, hmm, I don't know. Just the other day, I forget which of our ministries I was preaching. I don't know if it was one of our services in here, our chapel service where I was speaking at one of the classes or something. And I made mention, I read through a passage and I could open up and give the understanding and expound the beginning and the end of the chapter right in there, two or three verses I have yet in my Christian wall to figure it out. I know what the words mean. I can see it. I take it for what it says. I don't try to alter it to fit my understanding. And my only thing I could do when I read it, Brother Brian was saying, it means what it says. <laughs> I don't have it. I can't tell you. You know, the old country preacher said, Mm-mm, I don't know. And that was my answer. All right. And, and that is the answer sometimes. Don't let that be a barrier to you living and loving the Word of God. I promise you something. You'll get enough what you do see, it'll keep you busy. <laughs> and so he mentions this. Isn't it amazing the Bible says this in this way about it? It says, in which some things are hard to be understood. And then it gives a warning how sometimes people have trouble because of that. <laughs> which they that are unlearned, and by the way, I don't think that's just scholastic and academic achievement at all. I think uh, the capacity to learn and uh, being, being taught in the way of the Word of God. And so it says, they that are unlearned and unstable. You do know the Bible says a double-minded man. That's somebody who uh, can't decide what they are. They want to live like a worldling and try to live for God at the same time. That's double-minded. Double-minded is not being a bit ambiguous on a, a decision you have to make. I don't know for sure if I want to do this or do that. That doesn't mean in a particular instance that you're double-minded. That means maybe you're having trouble making a decision. Double-minded is a way of thinking where you're trying to be two different things at once. And the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And it warns about that, doesn't it? Uh, it, uh, it was Jacob that said, Reuben, the beginning of my might, the excellency of my strength, beginning of power, thou unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. And this instability has always been a problem. We get our stability from the Word of God. Even if your history and your track record has been one of not being stable, I will promise you, if you will get in a strong relationship with God's Word, it will stabilize and strengthen you with might and inner man, and it will help you to grow to be what you ought to be. Just what you have been does not paint the picture of what you have to be because of God's power. It may can make you different. And may God help you have that and believe that. And so it says, speaking of them, these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable, those are those flighty Christians you know, 
They're one thing one week and something else the next week. They're the people who can instantly jump from one church to another. And sometimes God will lead people to different churches. I get that. But they'll go to radically different doctrinal stances. They said they believe this body of doctrine and now all of a sudden they believe this body of doctrine and they got there about that fast. Uh, man, I'll tell you what. That, that's unstable. And the Bible says that they that are unstable rest. See that word? As they do also the other Scriptures. Thereby, the Word of God identifies Paul's writings as Scriptures. As in all Scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's Scripture. And uh, uh, it's the Word of God. In fact, Paul said, if there's any of you uh, seem to be endued with wisdom, let him acknowledge that the things that we write unto you are the commandments of the Lord Jesus. People try to chop the Bible up. We're supposed to rightly divide it, but there is a group of people who try to make mincemeat out of it. It's the Word of God, not the Word of man. And by the way, what's written in Corinthians is as much the Word of God as what was written in Exodus. And what was written in Exodus is as much the Word of God as Corinthians was. And I understand uh, very well the different things to rightly divide the Word of truth. And I thank God that the, the ordinances of the law which were contrary to us were nailed to the cross. I get all that. understand that. But let me tell you something. It's the Word of God. And I can open anywhere in this book and feed this congregation according to the Scripture. I can feed you doctrine. I can correct you. I can give you instruction in righteousness. And I am thoroughly furnished unto all good works because of the Word of God. All of it. We need the whole body of the Scripture. And so it talks about this thing here. But it says that they, they rested. Verse 17. Do you see the context? It started with the warning about there's judgment coming with this. There's warning about how we need to stay stable during very hard times. And then verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved... Seeing you know these things before, beware, lest you also be led away with the error of the wicked. Fall from your own lot. You ain't got anybody falling from any salvation there. Read what the words say. It's from steadfastness. You become not steadfast and you end up messing up. I'll tell you, a heartbreak. And I thank God, you know, uh, for the years and 29 years of being a pastor, I, I'm glad to see the word people grow and I'm glad to see people grow up in the Lord. But one of the deep heartaches any pastor carries if he cares about his people, is seeing people who at one time stood fast and, and were strong as they begin to, they begin to go aside, uh, either chasing after things that don't matter or they, they become weak in what they're doing or get led astray with some fancy and fad and they become as children again, which the Bible warns about instead of being a full age and they end up uh, being blown about with every wind of doctrine. That's, that's hurtful. You hate to see people do that. It's warning about that here. It says, don't be led away the heir of the wicked and fall from your own steadfastness. Um, but instead of that, look what we're to do. Grow. And where do we grow, church? In grace. It's not grace that grows. It's you that grows. It's me that grows. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, when you put it all together, here's what it comes down to. To Him be glory both now and forever. And right there is a good Bible word. Even on a sleepy Sunday morning, and what's that good Bible word? Amen. amen. All right. God likes that. God, the Bible's so good, God amens Himself in it. I mean, other than But um, it, is, it is absolutely amazing stuff uh, what the, what's in the Bible with that. How do we respond to God's Word? When we're reading it, when it's being preached, I'm glad for people bring their Bibles to church. You should always do that. I have no confidence or use for this idea of doing all this stuff and encouraging people not to carry by. Bring Bible. You say, why? Because the Bible is the final authority. 
And you need to open the Scripture. You need not to be cynical and critical. That's always a destructive spirit. But we could be like the noble Bereans that we would search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. That's a good spirit. That's a right spirit, but yet going to the Bible for authority. We always do that, don't we? The Bible's right. and We can go to it. And uh, you need to learn that. And, and that needs to be a part of your heart, part of what you do. But how do we respond to God's Word? Do you know the Bible? I, I was thinking of the passage this morning. I was meditating on this passage where the Bible says, Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And I was thinking about that and command to a preacher, listen to, listen to the way it's phrased. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. I tell you, there are times when you just like to exhort all the time. Especially if you understand people come in carrying burdens. We're broken hearts in this room right now and they're burdens that people are carrying coming in. But when the, the command to the preacher is he's to reprove, he's to rebuke, he's to exhort. Why? The Word of God does that. Do you know why it does that? Because we have things that need corrected in our lives. How do we respond when the Bible corrects us? Now we know how to respond when it comforts us. That's pretty easy, isn't it? We, we can take a lot of that. Uh, although there are some people who have trouble receiving that. It's kind of funny. A hard time believing. They believe God so loved the world, but they have a hard time believing God actually loved them. And we deal with that sometimes. But what kind, of, what kind of thing do we do? How do we respond as the Word of God shows us that there are things in our life that need to go a different direction? Well, it's in the Bible Scripture. Amen, brother. It is. And uh, what do we do? What is, what is our response? What's your response? What's my response? You know, not in those areas we feel like we have settled, but in the area where God touches on it and says, okay, how about this? And how about this way of living and this way of going forward with it? I, I, I thank God the Bible never quits challenging us. I tell you, my own personal study, I go along and I'll, every now and then I'll be going through and I'll read something and I'm like, Lord, I have a long way to go in this area. God help me. I'm telling you, this series we've done, and I recommend it to you on our our podcast and YouTube that the series is a more excellent way. This study, I hadn't started out to do a series on charity. But oh my goodness, thing after thing has opened up on it. And I found myself so often preparing those and reading and studying and opening up going, Lord, I'm lacking so much in this vital, vital area of, of what God wants us to be. Let all thy things be done with charity. And my goodness, I've got a lot to learn about our Lord in that. I just really do. And I'm glad He still teaches us. I'm glad He's growing us. I'm glad that we can keep going with it. But how do we respond to it? Uh, what, what is the right way of doing it uh, with that? The Bible says that they which are unlearned and unstable rest Paul's writings as they do the other Scriptures to their own destruction. Um, to rest is an aggressive act. To rest, and you might recognize it as a Beginning of another word. What word, other word would you think of with rest? Wrestle. wrestle, right. Put that on there, wrestle. Or, you grew up southwestern Ohio like I did. I wasn't on the wrestling team over there. I was on the wrestling team. We wrestled, baby. <laughs> Wrestling's a little more violent. You thump them a little harder when you do that. That was a lot of fun back then. But, the, uh, but to rest is to, is to pull or contort. <laughs> that was the fun part, if you were doing it. Um, to pull or contort and to take and to twist out of its form. In understanding what it means to rest the Scripture is we're taking it out of where it fits within the body of truth. I often tell people when they first start saying, what's the best way of studying the Bible? And I do all different types of study, but the very best way, read it. Read it slowly. Read it prayerfully. 
pay attention to the words, pay attention to the people, pay attention to repetition. God keeps emphasizing something. But get the whole body of Scripture. That will keep you out of a lot of nonsense doctrine. Because what will happen is you'll see something and it doesn't quite fit the rest of the Bible. And someone's trying to sell something or perpetrate something on you and you're like, eh, that doesn't quite taste right. You may not be able to expound. You may not be able to give them some kind of a, uh, you know, some great doctrinal thesis as to why that doesn't fit that way. But the thing of it is, you'll know, nah, that doesn't fit. Because the, when I get a picture of the entire Bible, here's what it's saying. And then that keeps us on track. But to rest is an aggressive act. Now, it's interesting. You don't have to be an enemy of the Word to rest it. In other words, we think of that somebody just, we think about somebody intentionally destroying it, which there is. But you, you and I can do that. We can twist it out to aggressive act, taking something and just totally twisting what it says. It's very, very easy to do, and we have to be careful of it. Then notice what it says he rests, they rest to their own destruction. Notice when someone, whether it be an individual who doesn't have any audience to hear them, or whether it be someone who has many people to hear them, if they take the Bible and twist it, contort it out of what it's supposed to be, the Bible is not damaged. That's very important. Follow this. You say, well, you've done despite to the Bible. We can do that. That's our attitude towards what we've done. But we cannot destroy it. If I take, Sean, if I take the Bible and rest something, the one I've damaged is not the Scripture. Now, potentially, I'm a pastor. I have an audience of people I, I speak to. I could hurt others by doing that. And I'm, I'm very, to me, that's something I'm very mindful of. But the thing I'm damaged is me. Because the Bible stays true. It stays sure. Somebody says, well, I don't believe the Bible. doesn't change its veracity. Not one bit. It's funny, Brother Keith, I've had people say, well, how do you witness to somebody who says they don't believe the Bible? Same way I witness somebody who says they do believe the Bible. I witness somebody who says they're not an atheist, doesn't believe the Bible is actually the Word of God. I'd use the Scripture just like I do to a Baptist who thinks that he's saved because he was raised up in Sunday school. They need the Word of God. You say, well, they don't believe it. It doesn't change its power. Now, I understand, and I've got sense enough to pay attention to the person to whom I'm speaking. And since soul winning, as, as a good scriptural term, is referred to as teaching, go therefore and teach all nations, teaching them. I'm supposed to figure out where somebody is and help them to come to the Lord and give them uh, what I can give them from where they're at. And I often, after I'll get talking to somebody, I'll say, do you have much background in the Bible and stuff? No, I've not really been around it. Well, yeah, I was kind of raised in church. And so I'm figuring out where can I start with this person. But somebody looks at me and I've had it happen before. I don't really believe the Bible's the Word of God. I don't shut my Bible and go tuck my tail and hide. I tell you what, John 3.16 is still powerful regardless of whether or not they say they believe it because the Gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it. To the Jew first and to, also to the Greek. It's a preacher says to everyone believeth. Ah, very good. You're catching on. As that's why it says in Romans, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And the Word of God, the incorruptible seed of God, has power in it. I don't need to, I, I, I don't need to defend it. I don't need to apologize for it. I need to get it out there clearly. As the Bible says in Philippians, that in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, that we would hold forth the Word of life, that we would show the Word of God, that we would give it out clearly. The Word of God can do its own strength, what it's supposed to do. It has its own power and its own strength. Do you think oratorical ability, psychological insight, 
experience in dealing with crowds would allow me to meet the multiple needs of this congregation on any given Sunday. You all come from a wide variety of backgrounds. You're in different places of life. You've got multiple things going on. No man, myself or anyone else, is sufficient for that, but the Word of God is sufficient. And I am glad it is. We ought to take it as such. And so we give this out. Why? Uh, when someone rests the Scripture, they do it to their own destruction. Proverbs 30 gives us something interesting. Don't lose your place there in Peter, but let's look back in Proverbs together, please. Proverbs chapter 30. Would you turn with that with me? I want you to get this in your eye and ear gate. Proverbs chapter 30. I'm glad I have a Bible this morning. Are you glad you have one? Amen. It's good to have, isn't it? He does, but he can't. He won't. I love it. Good stuff. Proverbs chapter 30. I believe it, Adam. I believe it. Good stuff. Proverbs chapter 30. Look in verse 5. Every word of God is pure. We could think on that a good while, couldn't we? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Um, they rest to their own destruction. God was proved them to be a liar. Uh, I would hate, uh, I, I fear the Lord on this. I would never want to use any influence that he's, he's committed to my trust to ever cause any person to doubt the authority, the holiness, and the truthfulness of God's Word. Um, you may decide at some point you don't agree with what I teach or some doctrine I teach, and that you have the capacity to do that, and I'll try to prove to you from the Scripture. But one thing I never want to do I never want to put anything in you that's even a little bit of a doubt about the Word of God. I want you to believe that that Bible which you have is God's Word. And as a child of God, if you're actually born again by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you is the author of Scripture. And you may trust the Word of God. Oh, this is so important. I know that's basic stuff, but we've gotten away from the basics and we need it so much. We really do. The problem is not with the Scripture. The problem is with the heart of the one who is reading it when they rest the Scripture. Proverbs 14.6 says that a scorner seeks wisdom but can't find it, while knowledge is easy to him that hath understanding. Two people coming at the same thing, but then one is, is benefited by it and another is not. <laughs> I have had, as a preacher, I've been a preacher a long time, and I have had, in fact, I just had in recent days, Two different people refer to something I preached and one coming saying, well, that meant, I'm telling you, I needed that out of the Scripture. That was a blessing to me today. And someone else looked at me and said, I didn't get anything out of that. You're not feeding me. Same word. Same one. Say, which one do you pay attention to? Well, I tried to love both and pay attention to what God wants me to say. <laughs> I keep track on that. We'll do all right. And uh, because uh, while we may take public vote for selling property, we do not take public vote for what's preached. And so I, uh, I preach the Word of God and, and as best I can and hopefully love the people that God's given me to love and care for. But, the, but different ways. You ever had a day where it seems like every, you open the Bible and you get 
every, it's like everything will jump out. You read a verse and get so much, and other times you're going, you know, you read the same chapter, you started it three times, and us in your life halfway through, your mind has went somewhere else. You come back and you're like, oh my goodness, there I am. And uh, what did I just read? Ever been there? That's, that's amazing, isn't it? It's funny just in our own day by day condition how that can vary. But how do we respond to the Word of God? Let's, let's be mindful of something. Not use it as an excuse, but realize that we are, uh, uh, we are variable. Well, the Word of God is not. We are. And we have to take that into account. Not every day is a day where you get shouting joy out of everything you read. Not every day is a day where you find some deep, insightful truth. But every day ought to be a day that we go to the Bible. And this will help you more than anything for your study. Go to your Bible hunting God. I know that's not particularly good grammar, but it's good living. Go to the Bible hunting God. Jesus said the Scriptures were they which testified of Him. When He was talking to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, He began at Moses and all the prophets. He started back at Genesis and expounded unto them in those Scriptures all things concerning Himself. The Bible's about Jesus Christ. He is the matter of it. He is the subject of it. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that's in there. And when you go hunting God, God, who are you? God, what have you done down through history? God, what do you want my relationship to be with you? God, what great things have you done to allow me to have a relationship with you? I will promise you there's a vitality and there's a vibrance that comes into the Word of God that is not there if you just go at it as scholastic academic reading. I got a lot of books in my libraries, but I'm going to tell you none of them or the comparative accumulation of them, none of them are to be compared to the Word of God. And so you have a copy of that. Did you hear that? You have a copy of that in your own language. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you got brothers and sisters around this world who'd love to have a whole copy of it. And may we be a help to try to give it to them, huh? And so this is it. The problem is with the heart. How does someone respond to it? Um, <laughs> used to have a lady. <clears throat> so funny. I've told about her before, but you look a little sleepy. Um, <clears throat> she was in a nursing home where I preached in uh, actually off Torrance Avenue in Cal City, just off southeast side of Chicago. And she... Uh, she delighted in trying to torment me. She was a self-proclaimed atheist. And I'm not making fun of her, but you get the effect. I mentioned her the other day. You get the effect because she didn't, she didn't wear her teeth and she talked a little funny. So I'm not making fun of her. You just have to get the effect of this. And halfway through every service, and we'd have full services, I'm preaching away, she'd get up. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just full of baloney. And she'd walk out. <laughs> And uh, in that particular nursing home, I trained a lot of nursing home workers with that one. We had three stories, and we'd have three services between morning and evening services at our church. And, and so she's like, she's like uh, yeah, what are you talking about? Just like that. And one day, we had a disaster. All the nurses' aides that usually helped me, it was like I don't know that they were demon-possessed or something. They were causing trouble, noise, dragging people in and out of the service. They left the PA system on. It was a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room, man. And uh, I was up there preaching. I had one of these rolling uh, food tray things. That was my pulpit, porta pulpit. And uh, I couldn't get the thing together. I couldn't get it. I mean, it was terrible. I had workers there. I had been there that I was training. And, and we got done, and they took all the people back out of that big center room where we met. It's a large center room, and then the, the people's, uh, their rooms were around us in the hallway. Everybody was out, I thought. I leaned back against the wall, and I'm like, whew. I mean, it was wild. And I was used to wild. And uh, I'm like, whew. Well, there's a little, little enclave that went back in along the wall there. 
She had stayed the whole service. Okay. Yeah, she thought this was great. And all of a sudden, this little head sticks around the corner at me. And I look down the wall, and she goes, hey, preacher. I said, yes. She goes, some days you just ain't got it, do you? <laughs> well, I guarantee you some days I ain't got it, Chai. <laughs> the Word of God's still good, isn't it? And uh, what was it? Her heart wasn't ready to receive it. Oh, there was a lady in there who was a nurse. And, oh, she was vile. She was vile. She was, she was an older, older lady. Probably 41 or 42. Well, that's a bad you already. <laughs> I was a college kid back then. Okay, so that's ain't old. Remember, this year, old starts at 58 now. But and, uh, and she was seemed older than me. And she was vile. I mean, uh, Brother there and I go in and she was just, she was... Watch her. Uh, we're, I was there uh, between my undergraduate and graduate degree of six years in that nursing home, and we loved those people and did their funerals and preached and a pastor. Partway through that, she started opening up. And now, I've told you before, it was because of a little lady that went home to be with the Lord, sweet little lady that passed away there and had such an effect on her. But she started opening up. Remember the last time that that lady and I sat down and talked? And we sat and talked for about a half hour clearly about the gospel. Catholic lady had 11 children. Her husband was a drunkard. He wasn't a violent drug. He was a weeping drug. And she'd say, oh, we've been through it because that we've lost everything because of that Buddhist at different times. I said, you stayed with him. She said, I meant my vows. She said, he's a good man when he's sober. And we talked and she wept. And her heart was open and tender to the word of God. What happened there? It was the same word at the beginning. I mean, she would stand at the door. It just, she was, she aggressively came in. It was just lewd, some of the stuff that they were trying to cause trouble. And she'd get some of the younger nurses to get in on. What changed? The word of God changed her. And she told me, she said, You know, when you first started coming here, I didn't want to hear a word you said. I said, I gathered that. <laughs> it would be the impression I got. What changed her? I'll tell you what changed her. What changed her was the Word of God. Look, how do you respond to the Word of God? You know, it's amazing to me when I have people, and let my heart break for this for a minute, um, who go, Brother Keith, from saying, Preacher, preacher, and yeah, we want to hear it. Let's step on some toes. Let's have some jack fuel. Let's get this thing going. And they go from that to, you're just you're just harsh and offensive. Or here's the classic: you, you just don't feed me anymore. I'm not the best orator in town. I'm sure. I hope not. Anyway, we don't have much of a town if I am. Um, I don't claim to be the greatest scholar. I will tell you something: you said in these people, you're going to get fed the word of God. I can't help you either if you're going like that. Okay, you got to chew. I'm just serving. Amen. Brother Cox would say, that's good preaching if I am doing it. <laughs> I always get tickled when that little guy does it. It's something else. Let me give you these quickly. There are some things in the Scriptures that are hard to be understood. Let me give you some things that will just help you in your walk and encourage you. Perhaps you've had some of these down times and even some cold times towards the Word of God and you wonder what's going on in your own heart. Let me help you from the Word of God these next just few minutes and uh, encourage you that if you want to love the Lord... You can. If you want to learn His Word, you can. So I don't know it as well as someone. It's not a contest. Amen. Look, 
Every year we have conference. One of the preachers will come in and, and he'll preach something I've recently preached. Not because he's preaching what I'm preaching. We have the same book. And I'll have church members come up, man, that was a good truth. I never heard that before. Now, assuming you actually were awake the whole time I was speaking, it, uh, he said, well, doesn't that bother you? No, it really doesn't. He said, why not? Because they got it. So if it wasn't my voice they heard, does that really matter? Isn't the issue that we get what we need to serve the Lord, isn't the issue that we be honorable to God and that we are useful to Him? Let's keep that as, our, let's keep that as, as the main thing is what we're thinking. Um, there are some hard things in the Word of God, some things hard to be understood. Those are the I don't know moments, right? When we encounter things that we have a hard time understanding, there are at least four possible reasons why. And I'm not saying this is all, but there are at least four of these. And I'm not going to preach each one like I preach this, so that's, don't, don't, don't get nervous, right? Number one, you have just gotten a hold of meat and you're still on milk. Bible said in Corinthians, said, I've not fed you with, uh, with milk. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For here, hitherto have you not been able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. And so there's meat. The Bible has things that are for people who are more experienced in Christ, have walked with the Lord, have gotten to know the Word, and it has for those who are just beginning. Hey, when I got saved, I've told you before, I do not exaggerate, I didn't know where Genesis was in the Bible. I had zero Bible knowledge. I read philosophies. I read a lot of things as a young teenager. I read a lot of things. But what I didn't have was the Word of God. And when I first got in the Word of God, I didn't know anything about it. As I say down home, I didn't know Kamir from Sikkim. I didn't know a bit. I had to start. And what is that? Uh, there's milk. You need that. You need that. And uh, there's meat. You got a hold of something, so I don't get it. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Don't, don't, don't kick it out because you can't chew it. Just set it aside. Just set it aside. And uh, you'll come back to it. Number two, it is not yet time for you to know that particular passage. Jesus took the disciples on the Mass Road and explained to them what they were already familiar with. He took them back to what they already knew and then explained the fullness of it. Daniel, by the inspiration of God, is writing the book of Daniel and asks the Lord, My Lord, what meaneth these things? What shall the end of them be? And God says to Daniel while he's writing the book of Daniel, Go thy way, Daniel, for these things are shut up until the time of the end. Daniel's writing things down as God tells him. And Daniel says, what's this about? And God says, that's not your business. That's not for you. Just write. Boy, our human nature likes to bristle up against that, huh? Have anybody tell us that's not for us. But God says, okay, it's not for you yet. I'll tell you what is a wonderful thing. When you come down through a passage of Scripture with which you are somewhat familiar or maybe even very familiar, and all of a sudden it opens up with something you need at that time on that day, for your soul at that point of your life. And God has held that back and ready reserved for you until such a time when it could best minister to your need. May God help us to love our Lord because of how good He is to us. Then, uh, how about this? God may want you to labor over it. Dig and search and find it. Please don't be like the fellow who asked me. He said, Preacher, I'd like to know the Bible like you do. Can you tell me shortcuts to learn the Bible? No, I can't. Uh, there's no shortcuts to it. He may want you to labor over it. Dig and search for it. God, in Hebrews 11.6, is a rewarder of them which diligently seek Him. Diligent. Do we think the truth is so cheap and wisdom is such lacking in value that it's to be obtained without a price? God rewards effort. 
See, you see in the Bible, God used all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, but you will never see God bless lazy. And God doesn't bless lazy mentally either. If you study to what your capacity is. See, I'd be a scholar. I've had people say, well, I never went to Bible college. Well, blessed are you among men. Serve the Lord! It's not what it's about. But you have to put an effort into it. Try to learn something. Put it into it. Then another possibility, and I hope that this one is not the case. It can be when our heart is not right with the author of Scripture. And that condition of our heart is the first thing God wants us to see. God wants us to see our need spiritually before He opens things to us. Here's some red flag warnings that the problem can be because of our heart. Your lack of understanding turns you away from the Bible. Whereas a heart that's toward the Lord, uh, if we don't understand it, turns us towards it to try to learn it and try to find out what's going on. A heart that's not in, in accord with the Lord, we don't understand something, just set aside and say, well, you don't get it anyway. And then sometimes even blame the Bible. Your reaction to not understanding is to critique or judge the Bible. I don't understand why that's in there anyway. I don't know why it has to be written that way. I don't know why it's like that. In other words, you're judging the Bible. You're blaming the Bible for your lack of understanding. That is a red flag that your heart is the issue. It's not your intellectual capacity. It's the heart at that point. You have to watch for that. Um, <clears throat> if your heart is right, your reaction is more like this. Lord, I don't understand this yet. I know something good's in here. Give me, please give me understanding. See, that's, that's a proper heart response. How about this? Um, this is a serious red flag. It's a couple red flags flapping in the breeze. You're not able to calmly or reasonably hear what someone has to say or explain what you believe, but rather you become defensive. <laughs> the uh, Somebody doesn't agree with you, okay. What? That's, yeah. I should be able to explain scripturally why I believe them. And without getting hostile. Lack of submission to what the Scripture says. You're unwilling to change tradition, self-will, or sinful practices if you see them addressed in the Bible. In other words, when something is dealt with, you say, well, God doesn't care about that. Otherwise, it's in the Scripture. It's amazing how many things are like that. You'll be reading verses about it. Well, God doesn't really care about that. Then why is it in this book? Apparently, He does. If I'm going to have to reach an understanding of whether God cares about it as to whether you think He does or not or whether He included it in His book, I'm going to take the fact that it's in His book that it means something. <laughs> I mean, we might disagree some on what it means, but you can't say it means nothing if God chose to put it in His book. There's only so much room in the Scripture. He didn't, he didn't make it. It's really not a large, large book. And then, <clears throat> when something's preached with which you disagree <clears throat> or taught... <clears throat> You seek to discredit the messenger rather than to search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. See, when you search the Scriptures to see if these things are so, your spirit stays right, and you recognize the Bible as final authority, and you check to see if maybe this fits. If you seek to discredit the messenger, you're coming from a critical, and I hope not, but even possibly a scornful spirit, and that's a dangerous place. An example of this is Matthew chapter 11. I want to show you this, and then, and then we'll conclude here. But look at Matthew chapter 11. I'll show you what I mean by that. <clears throat> Scriptural example, excuse me. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew's before Luke, isn't it? There we go. I'll find it. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus making a statement to the generation here and, and a group of people. 
as God had done different ways of trying to reach them, and yet each one was rejected. Verse 16 of Matthew 11. He says, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? He said, What do you like? I figured it out. It's likened to children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, this is a musical instrument, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. So they said, We made music and stuff and you didn't, you weren't excited about that. We tried to cry and you wouldn't get involved with that. He said, I'm telling you what your generation's like. For John, he's talking about John the Baptist here, <clears throat> came neither eating nor drinking. Now, it's not that he never ate or drank anything. You understand he was very austere in what he did. An unusual diet too, didn't he? What did he eat? Locust? Honeycomb. Now, if you had to eat locusts, you'd want some honey to help it go down, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> For John came neither eating nor drinking. So here John comes out, rugged garment, very austere, not interacting with the people in a social manner. John was not a social creature. He just came in preaching, repenting, right? First prophet after 400 years of silence. Look what Jesus said the response was. And they say, he hath a devil. So that was the response to John when the guy showed up like that. The son of man, referring to himself, came eating and drinking. First miracle he did was at a wedding. Often had meals with people, even provided food for large crowds. The Son of Man cometh eating and drinking. And they say, Behold, a man gluttonous in a wine-bibber. So John's very austere. He's got a devil. Jesus comes and deals with people in the normal intercourse of life. And they say, I'll tell you what. Accuse him of stuff you know, he didn't do. I had a cousin who was quite violently opposed to Christianity. We had a family get-together down in Kentucky and we were going along where the family brought in all the food and stuff and we were going along. And I was filling up my plate and he got on the other side of me and he just looked at me. He's, he's, he's probably 10, 12 years older than me. And I was new in Christianity, very young in faith. And he's like, gluttony, gluttony, ain't it? Ain't it gluttony, huh? It's all gluttony, ain't it? Huh, gluttony? And he's just following me while I'm trying to fill up my plate. You ever tried to get you a good pork chop while a guy's yelling gluttony at you? And <clears throat> my cousin Doug is now in heaven, but Doug has, had walked with the Lord many years and had very strong, solid faith. He, he walked up to him, looked at him. The guy's name Timmy. He looked at him and he says, Hi, Doug. And he says, Hi, hi Timmy. You got a problem over here? And just smiling at him. And Timmy goes, I tell him it was gluttony. He says, Gluttony, ain't it, Doug? And uh, Doug looked at him and said, I guess that's according to what you do with it. Timmy went on his way. I remember, I, I was a baby, baby Christian. I was trying to find some way to battle this guy, you know. And Doug did that. And I thought, Oh, that was so cool. <laughs> I don't know. But that's what this group's like. Here comes John. Hey, what he has the devil. Look at there. He doesn't even he won't even talk to people. He doesn't go to people's houses. Here comes Jesus at the wedding. Look at that guy. He's... So no matter what vessel God tried to convey truth to him, they weren't receiving it. Well, then maybe the problem wasn't the vessel. It certainly wasn't God. Maybe it was the heart that wouldn't receive. In fact, Jesus goes on and says that. He says here. <clears throat> Verse 19 again, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. He said they're wise in their own eyes. They, uh, they're self-justifying is what they are <coughs> with that there. Um, you see, <coughs> Bible example of the heart not being right 
is that when the heart's not right, truth won't be received. <laughs> I was told in the same sentence someone was upset because I preached too loud and got ready bed faced and, and two sentences later, I was so quiet they couldn't hear me. That's dumber than box of rocks. And it wasn't, you're quiet sometimes and loud sometimes. I don't know if you know that or not. That's something called modulation of the voice. I can do nothing as far as melody of my voice, so I settle for modulation. I'll tell you a reason why. Because if you get up here and talk to all of God's dear children in this tone of voice throughout the whole message, I do this, and we all met together, blessed. Oh my goodness. And if you start like this, and in like this, and this is all you do the whole time you're up there, well, that gets pretty obnoxious too. Not to mention you could have some kind of, you know, <laughs> some kind of aneurysm in your lungs. I mean, bad. <clears throat> But wisdom is justified in children. I can't speak for you. I don't want my heart to keep me from missing truth. I think many of you would feel that way, wouldn't you? You want to learn. You want to grow. You want to know God's truth. So be careful that our heart doesn't keep us from getting the truth. Because sometimes it hurts. Old days when I first started preaching 40 years ago, people would say, we're looking to get our toes stepped on. Well, I don't want to go to church when they won't step on my toes. That's the way it was. Now it's, don't get in my personal space. It has changed so much. And it's absurd what has happened. Because we need correction. This old sorry sinful flesh needs, needs a devil preach out every now and then. The same rebuke causes different reactions in the wise and in the fool. Proverbs 13.1 talks about that. In summary, God not only said what He meant, but He said it the way He meant it. When someone reacts negatively to God's Word, it reveals the corruptness of their nature. Not a problem in God's. The way you react to the Bible reveals nothing about the Bible. The way you react to the Bible reveals everything about you and about me. Because the Bible, as I read in the opening uh, verses, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We're going to finish in John chapter 3, looking at a familiar passage of John 3 and verse 16, but we're going to look at the verses just after that too and realize how much the heart affects. How do you handle preaching that's biblical? How do you handle Bible study? Has your Bible led, uh, laid neglected? Do you not realize that it is the food for the inner man that's been born in you by the Spirit of God? You have to have it. You have to have it. John chapter 3, and uh, beginning in the familiar verse 16, and then I want to show you just a couple passages after that, and look what Jesus said about this. In verse uh, uh, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever... By the way, I'm a whosoever preacher. Whosoever. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now look at these verses in conjunction with what I've been teaching you. This is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. 
And men loved darkness rather than light. The reason? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. How do you respond to the Word of God? How do I respond to the Word of God? How we respond to God's Word reveals everything about us. God's Word remains unchangeable. I'll tell you a delightful thing that I see. I see people who when the Bible's open and verses are uh, given out, understood, they're, they're, the sense of them is given and, and how they fit, they just lean into it. They want it. They want the Word of God. They want what's there. That's a delightful thing. And uh, well, I'll tell you what, if you feel that slipping, if that's not in you, you ought to have, <laughs> have to be very honest with God. Be honest about your heart's need for the, for the Word. Let's pray together. All right, Father, thank You for Your people who have been very patient in listening to Your Word. Thank You for it. Have I spoken into the ears of someone who has not trusted on You? Lord God Almighty, You know our hearts. You know who is Yours in this room and who isn't. It was a good day. It was a good day back in that little town of Camden when You sent conviction to my heart. Showed me my need for You. God, would You do that? For anyone in this room that doesn't know you as their Savior, may they see beyond the uh, facade of their own righteousness and see their need of you. Pray you'll bless. May your people's heart be warmed and turned towards your word. God, help us please to love you through it, please. Amen. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed for a moment. Invitation here is not a tack on at the end, it's part of the service. Listen carefully, please. If I were talking to you one-on-one, I would want to know, is Christ your Savior? 